turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. You have one job as an under rower, and Paul is saying, I only have one job, and that is to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, and whatever he says, we will do, and wherever he sends us, we will go, and wherever he leads, we will follow, and whatever he requires, we will give, and whatever he demands, we will obey. Paul says, you want to know what a minister is? We are simply an under rower of Jesus Christ. That's all we are. And all God's people said, amen. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. Have you ever asked yourself the question, who is Jesus or what does it mean to be saved? How about questions like, what is eternity? Or is there a real God and where is he when I'm really suffering? These are just some of the topics we explore every day on this program. In these challenging times, we believe that God's Word is the source to all our answers. So if you can, get out your Bibles, and let's join Pastor Dudley right now with his message for us today. Good morning, good morning. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We've been preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're calling it 1 Californians because everything that was happening in Corinth is happening in California today. And so far we've looked at chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And today we come to chapter 4. Uh, My topic today is what is a minister? What is a minister? The majority of people, they think a minister of being a mild-mannered man, speaking to mild-mannered people, giving mild-mannered sermonettes, encouraging people to be more mild-mannered. In Corinth, the people to whom Paul was writing, they looked at ministers and they considered them to be their heroes. They actually worshiped them to some degree. The church, if you've been with us in the last three weeks, as we've studied Corinth, the church at Corinth was actually divided over their devotion for different preachers. And so at great length, In chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul points out the danger and the weakness and the error of following man or putting trust in man. As we come to chapter 4, he corrects the problem by giving the Corinthians the proper view of a minister. Number one, write this down. He says that we're nothing but servants of Christ. He wants them to understand. We are simply servants of Christ. Very first verse in chapter 4, he says, so then man ought to regard us as servants of Christ. 
According to Ephesians chapter 4, which I won't take the time to dive into that, the minister's job is actually to prepare you to do the works of ministry or the works of service. Now, going back to the Apostle Paul, he says, what he calls himself, I am a servant of Christ. Now, that word in the Greek, the word that he used, I want you to write this down, is the word under rower, under rower. What in the world is an under rower? He said, I am an under rower of Christ. Now, don't forget, when I gave you the history of Corinth, it's a port city. And the Roman ships are coming into that port. Remember, they've got to take them across the four, four miles of land and put them in the Aegean Sea. And so those ships are going west to east and east to west. And there's a lot of ships. And in the belly, down in the belly of the ships, the Roman ships are benches. And on the benches are where the slaves sit. Sometimes they're chained. And their job, just as once you understand, when Paul says we're an under rower, their job is to look at the captain of the ship. And if he says to row fast, they got to row fast. And if they say row slow, they got to row slow. They say row left, they got to row left. If they row right, they got to row right. They say stop, they got to stop. You have one job as an under rower, and Paul is saying, I only have one job, and that is to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, and whatever he says, we will do, and wherever he sends us, we will go, and wherever he leads, we will follow, and whatever he requires, we will give, and whatever he demands, we will obey. Paul says, you want to know what a minister is? We are simply an under rower of Jesus Christ. That's all we are. And all God's people said, amen. And then he explains our main responsibility. I want you to write this down. Our responsibility is to be a faithful steward of the gospel. That's my job. He put me on this earth to be a faithful steward to the gospel. I want to look at verse 1 and 2 again. It says, so then men ought to regard us as servants, under rowers, of Christ and I've been entrusted he gave me he put in my hands into my care what he calls the secret things of God those are the things that God reveals to him the things that God teaches him, the things that God shows him he's talking about the gospel verse 2 he says now it is required that those who have been given a trust you must prove yourself to be faithful. And Paul saw himself as this person that God had entrusted the gospel to take to the Jews and to the Gentiles, and that he had one job, and that was to be faithful to that calling. We'll learn later on in Corinthians that the gospel is described as the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God put the gospel message in Paul's heart and put it in his hands. And Paul saw himself simply as someone who needed to be a faithful steward to the Word of God. And part of our problem today in America is we've got too many preachers who are too politically correct. And they're afraid to truly preach what the Bible says about certain issues. And we need preachers to get back to being faithful stewards to this holy book. And then he says, not only are we under orders, not only are we servants. I want you to write Roman numeral number two. Paul saw himself from a, from a humble viewpoint. 
he had a proper perspective of who he was. He actually saw himself as someone who was condemned to die and he was willing to die. I want you to look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says, For it seems to me, all right, now I know you guys have your own opinion of who the minister is, but Paul says, It seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the what in the arena we have been made a spectacle to the entire universe what's he talking about well the people on that day and age they knew exactly what he was talking about whenever the romans took over a city a town or a province afterwards they came in with the procession that have the generals riding on their horses that have the soldiers and the army that all come walking through the streets and at the end of that procession In chains were the people that had been captured. And Paul says, you put us up on a pedestal. You know how I see myself? I'm simply willing to die. I'm a fool for Christ in that text. He says, I'm I'm, I'm willing to die for Jesus Christ. That's how he viewed himself. Look down at verse 12 and verse 13. He says, we work hard, but we're cursed. People cursed him. And whenever we're cursed, we bless. And we're persecuted. He saw himself as cursed and persecuted. He's willing to endure it. Verse 13, we're slandered. We always answer kindly. But up to this moment, we have become, you put me on a pedestal. I see myself as the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I want you to write that down. He viewed himself as the scum of the earth. What's he really saying? He just wants you to keep everything in perspective. Don't put us up on a pedestal. What he's saying is this, we are nothing. Don't put us up on a pedestal. Put God, put Jesus up on that pedestal. Can you say amen? You know, Every church, every church should be growing. I don't care if you're five people, 10 people, or 50 people, or 5,000 people. Your church should be growing, right? I always, you know, when people leave here, they go, your church is too big. I'm going to go over to this church that's smaller. Well, okay, go ahead. But if that's really a good church, it's going to be growing, and you're going to have to leave it eventually and go find you another church. The church is supposed to grow, all right? I mean, if I took every one of these first three, four rows right here, and we just, hey, let's go start a new church. Well, where are we going to meet? I don't know. We'll go meet on the top of the parking structure out there. All right, I'll see you next time. Bring an umbrella and a Bible. Okay? Well, the next week, there should be 60 of us, and then 70 of us, and then eight. Why? Because we're out being the salt and light of the world, right? And so I, I want you to know the church should be growing, but I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. I have sensed this in my spirit that the larger the church grows, the more the people get enamored with the pastor. I, I've seen, I've walked by and I've heard people go, there goes the pastor. Okay. And the problem with that too is that the pastor, he starts to feel like he's a celebrity. And then it starts to go to his head and that's a very dangerous thing. You know, you know today I call myself a pastor 
uh, or preacher. I, I, they used to call every clergy member a minister. But before that, when I was young, they had another word, not pastor, not minister. The word that every clergy member was called was reverend, called Reverend Dudley. That's like an oxymoron, isn't it? And uh, when I was young and people would say, hey, Reverend, I'd say, hey, 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 don't you call me Reverend. Because the only time we see in the Bible the word reverend used is when it refers to God. Because there's only one person who should be revered by all of us, and that is the Lord Jesus. So, he's just putting everything in perspective, all right? I'm gonna t- this is all going to make sense to you in a minute. He says, hey, we're under rowers of Christ. We, we have a humble view of who we are. But number three, write this down. I'm nothing more than an example setter. My job is to set an example for you. That's, that's what I'm supposed to do. I want to read verse 14 uh, through 17. And uh, it says, I am not writing this to shame you. Okay, you might feel shamed. You, 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 you hold the preacher up on a pedestal and he's just said, no, 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 no. Okay, he's saying... I, I, didn't, I didn't say all this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear, what? Children. Verse 15. Even though you have 10,000 guardians, remember that phrase. You have 10,000 guardians in Christ. You do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Verse 16, therefore I urge you to imitate me. Verse 17, for the reason I'm sending to you, Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Why is he sending Timothy? Because Timothy is going to remind you of what? He's going to remind you of my way of life, the way I lived. Some of you guys have forgotten how I lived my life. I'm going to send Timothy, my son, to remind you of the way I live my life in Christ Jesus, which, by the way, agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Write this down. He saw himself as a father figure. It's very obvious when you read through that. Now, the Apostle Paul never had any children, physical children. He was celibate. He never got married. And yet, he talks about Timothy, my son, He saw the entire Corinthian church as his children, and here's why. Whenever you lead someone to Christ, you become a spiritual parent to that person. And what is the number one task of a parent? The number one task of a parent is to raise your children in the Lord. And how do you do that? By setting a good example. You can yell at them all you want, and it's not going to do you any good. They're going to mimic you. They're going to they're gonna learn character by the character that they see in you. Uh, uh, they learn integrity by the integrity that they see in you. They learn how to set priorities by the way you set your priorities. Uh, they learn how to work hard when they see you working hard. They learn how to live when they see how you live. And most important... Your children learn faith by the faith that they see in you, which is Christ's likeness. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul had done. 
he had led them to Christ, number one, and secondly, he had set a Christ-like example for each and every one of them. That's why you have there in verse 16 that phrase, therefore I urge you to imitate me. He knew that he was setting an example for them, and he wanted them to follow that example. And Paul is saying, I want you to mirror me. Mirror my compassion for the lost. Mirror my missionary zeal to plant churches. I want you to mirror my Christ-likeness. I want you to mirror my love for the Lord. I want you to mirror my love. Remember this, my love for the church. And love the church he did. He loved the church in Rome. And that's why he wrote a letter in the Bible. It's called the book of Romans. He loved the church at Ephesus. And that's why he wrote a letter to that church. It's called the book of Ephesians. He loved the church in Philippi. So he wrote a, a letter. It's called the book of Philippians. Some of you call it the, the book of the Philippines, but it's Philippians. Uh, he, 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 loved, he loved the church in Thessalonica. He loved that church. So he wrote a letter. He wrote a letter called First and Second Thessalonians. And, and he loved the church in Corinth. And so he wrote this book. Why? Because he loved them. And it's out of that love I want you to write this down. He asked them at the very end a forthright favor. He had a question for them. And this question ties us all together and leads us into next week's message. I want you to look at the last verse, verse 21. He says, what do you prefer? I want you to turn to whoever you're sitting next to and just say, what do you prefer? What do you prefer? And then he said these words. Shall I come to you with a whip? You want a whip? Or do you prefer that I come in love with a gentle spirit? You know who that reminds me of? My parents. Because, you know, we had five kids, and uh, we have one sister who never got a spanking, ever. And to this day, we do not like her at all. Still do not like her. I have another sister. She got a spanking every three months, about four times a year. I got a spanking about every month. I got 10 or 12 hard spankings. I mean, I'm talking about with the belt, okay? Now, I know that's not politically correct, but uh, the Bible says spoil the rod, hate the child. You know that verse, but my dad, he was not going to spoil me. And so... But, you know, he, he would always, he, and I got sent to my room a, a lot more than that, but he would say this, you go to your room, I'll be in there a little bit. And I didn't know if he was coming with a whip or sitting on the edge of the bed and sitting down and talking to me. I'll tell you, that was the worst fear, just wondering, which is it, which is it, which is it, right? I have another brother who got a spanking every single week. And I have my other brother, my last brother, he got a spanking every single day. Every day. My dad spanked him. Every day. Not some days. Every day. He would come home from school. I'm not exaggerating. He would come home from school. My dad would whip him. And I remember my brother saying, Dad, why are you spanking me? And my dad would say these words, Son, 
I know that you did something wrong today. That's why I'm spanking you. And he was right. Okay, he was right. And so, uh, you know, uh, Paul, you know, he's, don't get upset with him when he says, you want me to come with a whip? Or don't get mad at that. He's not, he's not, he's not a physical parent. He's not actually whipping anybody. He's talking about in the words that he's about to say. Do you want me to be strong? Because sometimes you've got to take a stand for righteousness. Or do you want me to be gentle? Now, who gets to decide? Well, you get to decide. Why do you get to decide? Because some of you are hard-headed. Some of you need spiritually a spanking. And some of you, you just need, if, you, if you, you, you're so sensitive, if we just talk to you and show you scriptures, you'll, you'll straighten right up. And the only reason he does any of this is because of what's going to happen next weekend when you come to church, when we move into chapter 5. He, all he's doing here is laying a foundation for what he wants to do, which is start to address the sin and the immorality that's in the church. And if you want to go ahead and peek at chapter 5 and see what the sin is, you can but everything we're looking at right now, I'm a servant, I'm an under rower, I'm here to do what God wants, and I see myself uh, as a humble person, and, and I'm willing to die, but what I really am is I'm a spiritual parent to you, and he's, it's, all of this is getting ready to dig in to chapter 5. And my prayer and my hope for every person in this room is not that you would be a physical parent. If you're a physical parent, God bless you, I'm happy for you. And I hope you raise your child uh, in the ways of the Lord. But my prayer for er every one of you is that you would become a spiritual parent. That you would lead someone to Christ and then set a good example for them. Whether you realize it or not, you see, everything that I teach you, I learned from my earthly father. Everything I'm teaching you, I've learned from my heavenly father, which is Jesus and everything I'm teaching you, I really learned from the Apostle Paul, who really is a spiritual father to all of us. But what I want to say to you in closing is this. My prayer is that you will teach your children how to live. And that you'll teach your children how to die. And that you'll teach your children how to live again through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. We live in the most distracted culture in the history of the world. We see about 10,000 messages every day. We even touch our phones about 2,000 times a day. We're literally being overwhelmed with information. 
That's why there's no better time than right now for Dudley Rutherford's remarkable new book, One Thing, Rediscover a Simpler Faith in Our Complicated World. In this timely book, Pastor Dudley invites you to open your Bible and look closely at seven key passages of Scripture where you'll find the beautifully uncomplicated phrase, One Thing. These scriptures will quiet all the noise that you're hearing and call you back to a simpler faith. Dudley Rutherford has discovered the secret of how to focus our lives on the one thing that matters. What if you could find that simplicity? It's waiting out there, and this is your roadmap to freedom. Contact Lift Up Jesus today and get your copy of One Thing, the book that could finally change everything. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us tomorrow at this same time as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.